Well, good morning. It's that time again. We're going to lift up our word together today and just declare that it is the, uh, the roadmap to our lives personally, that we are going to let it sink past just our head into our heart. So let's lift our Bibles this morning. We say, this book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Brian is out uh, this week. He's actually uh, taken uh, Jill away, and they are on a a uh, little bit of a short vacation, um, so we're praying for just rest and restoration for them. Uh, this morning, I get to have the privilege of sharing with you, and we are in our Hero series. I, I've been loving this series. Um, heroes, for me, have been something I've loved ever since I was a kid. That's partly just a man thing, <laughs> but for me, I love watching movies that you see the hero or the the protagonist overcoming all odds. Uh, my, my students know um, uh, from me that uh, in our youth group that all roads for me lead back to Lord of the Rings. I say that all the time. Um, I, love, I love Lord of the Rings for that because, again, it's a very similar vibe of uh, overcoming all odds where it seems like it's impossible, that the darkness has won, that there's no way around um, being defeated, and yet they overcome. My, one of my favorite movies, though, for that is a, a movie called Braveheart, and uh, some of the men in the room are like, yeah, you know, uh, but, but this, this movie um, is about a guy that really, in, in, the, in the midst of all this circumstance that really has him put at a disadvantage, he overcomes all that. He's able to push through and still come out on top. In those stories, there's a de decision point. There's a moment of dedication, of, of choosing to say, you know what, I'm not going to be defeated. I will win no matter the cost. When I was 16, I started um, studying martial arts, and um, as I was doing that, I, I came across a quote by Bruce Lee that I've loved and I've really latched onto, especially as a martial artist, about defeat. It says, defeat is a state of mind. No one is ever defeated until defeat has been accepted as reality, right? And so ultimately, it's not about failure. It's not about uh, whether we, we mess up or whether we get hit in, in the case of martial arts or, or whether the circumstances seem impossible to overcome. It's about our dedication to say, no, I will overcome. I'm going to succeed. I will win no matter the cost. And so this morning, we're talking about the commitments of a hero, and the main overarching question I want you guys to keep in mind is, what makes a hero? What makes a hero? We've been talking about what a hero isn't the past couple weeks. They're not perfect. They're, they're not always, um, you know, the, the best and the, and the brightest of the bunch. They just happen to be at the right place at the right time. But, but what makes a hero is what we're going to unpack and what we're going to talk about to, today. We're looking at the, the life of David and man, there's so much in Scripture about David that we could talk about. Um, it's really sad that we can't focus on everything all at once. I, I tried to, to limit the amount of Scriptures I had because we'd keep you here until Jesus came. So, um, so we're going to just look at a few. But uh, the first Scripture we want to unpack and look at this morning is in, found in 1 Samuel. It's chapter 16. You can turn with me there, but I also will have it up on the screen for you. And we're going to read all the way through verse number 12. 
It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since, you ha since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about this, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? <laughs> Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesus called Abinadab and uh, then Jesse called Abinadab and, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had then uh, Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So here you have brother after brother after brother that's coming up to, to pass by Samuel, and Samuel's saying, no, 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 none of these. So then he finally asks, are these all of the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. I will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. In this story, it's on the precipice of God usurping Saul's authority. Saul had been crowned king and, and ultimately had turned from doing the things of the Lord. He was an obedient man uh, initially and then had not stayed consistent in, in serving the Lord. And so the Lord said, I'm, I need to choose someone else. In fact, he says it in verse number one, because Samuel's still mourning and grieving the loss of Saul. And so he says, since I rejected him as king. So here we have a man that wasn't consistent to the Lord and God rejected him as king. And so David, in this moment, this young boy has been anointed king in spite of all odds being against him, in spite of him in even not even being present when all the brothers were there passing by Samuel and Samuel was trying to pick God's anointed. And so today, I want us to think and understand that my heart is more important than my capability. You see in Scripture as as you look at Samuel's response when the first brother comes across his path. In verse number seven, uh, it says, the Lord does, uh, does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here we have Samuel that says, God, this must surely be the one. He's, he's, he's got the strength, he's got the look, he's, he looks like a king. 
should look. And God says, no, because I don't look at the outward appearance. I don't look at what man looks at. I look at the heart. When he initially told Samuel that Saul was going to be dethroned, that he was going to put somebody else in King Saul's place, in verse number, in chapter 13, we're actually jumping back, God says, it says that the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. See, it's easy, in verse number 12, when I first read through this scripture, it says, you know, he, he was the picture of health and he was handsome, and he had fine features. And it's, it's sometimes like our flesh to say, well, see, that's why. That's why God chose David. But I want to bring out here in verse number 7 and in verse number 14 of chapter 13 that the Lord has always been about the heart, that our, our hearts are more important than our capabilities. We, we can have all the, all the strength, we can have all the right stuff, and yet we still can miss what God is doing. We can still miss obedience. We can still miss being the king, being the hero that God wants us to be because we're missing that piece of the heart. We can take from this verse, this passage of scripture, that God sees me even when I'm overlooked. See, it wasn't enough that Jesse had kept him out with the sheep a lot of his brothers and even his own father had said, no, 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 it can't be David. No, it's not David. He's too young. He's, you know, he's, he's not there yet. He's watching the sheep. That's totally fine. That's what he, his job is going to be. And you see all seven, you see the brother after brother after brother pass in front of Samuel. And God's saying, no, I'm looking for the one. And he saw David even though he wasn't even present at the time. And so finally Samuel has to say, well, in verse number 11, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, yes, they're, they're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. So he wasn't even present in this moment. And, and it's, it's interesting to me that they went up to sacrifice, and here David stays behind, easily able to be overlooked. And so if you're here today and you say, God, you know, I can't ever be a hero, or I can't ever be like that. I can't be chosen or anointed because I'm not, present there. You don't see me. No, people don't see me. I'm never, I'm never out in the open. Understand David was completely hidden from anybody's sight other than God's and he was still found because God sees the unseen. He sees us when we feel overlooked. There are many times in scripture that we see these heroes that we've been talking about that don't feel like they have the stuff it takes to do and accomplish what God has for them. And so there may be times that I feel underqualified where I say, God, I don't think I can do this. What makes a hero? I, I don't think I can be that. Uh, I, I have all the right stuff, but I don't know whether I have the heart. I'm not convinced of that. God, I don't know whether I have the skill set. I don't know whether I have the, I'm willing. I have a willingness but I, I don't know. I don't know if I have what it takes. Anybody been there this morning? Man, I went through a season when I was in a student that was just rough for me as, as I unpacked and really wrestled with capability. Could I do it? Could I measure up? Could I make it? Could I hit the mark? So often we get distracted with that and we don't realize that 
every single person that God called in the Bible to be a hero felt underqualified because we're people. And God's aware of this. He knows we feel underqualified. Take a look here real quick. We're not going to be able to look at this full scripture, but you see David as he grows and he's, um, he's becoming a man. He's, he's growing into manhood and, and uh, he comes against Goliath. The story of David and Goliath, it's a classic story of David coming and, and overcoming all odds, like in, in Braveheart where everything was against him and yet he still overcomes. But in this moment, he's counted out again. He's overlooked again. He's not considered to be somebody that can accomplish much. Look at, look at in verse number, verse number 28 of 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel 17, excuse me. It says, well, this is his brother speaking to him. David had come down to the battlefield to, to resupply some of the soldiers, and, and he had said, what's going on, you know, and he starts to engage in the conversation of who Goliath is and why on earth all of the Israelites are running scared. And in verse number 28, his brother says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep in the wilderness? <laughs> That's still their focus, right? Why aren't you with the sheep? Why aren't you in your place? Anybody put you there before? Why aren't you just staying where you need to be? Just why, why don't you, where are the sheep? What's your... Why are you doing your job when we begin to say, man, God, you're stirring something in me. I feel like maybe I'm supposed to do something, accomplish something greater than what I am doing right now. Don't stay at that precipice. Don't be defeated. Don't allow people to communicate in your life that you need to be overlooked, that you're underqualified, that you're not ready for the task at hand because God calls us to it anyway, amen? Verse number 33 you see Saul himself say to, say to David, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Now, there's some, there's some, some logic in that, I grant you, okay? As, um, as humans, we can kind of understand Saul's heart in that moment. Man, I don't want to send this young kid out on the battlefield only to have him absolutely butchered. This guy is bigger than all of us. We're scared. Why shouldn't he be? And here we have David who's not scared, not because of his own strength, not because he thinks he can do it, but because he knows who his God is in this story. He, he feels underqualified. He feels underprepared. In fact, people tell him, you're underqualified. Where are the sheep? Why aren't you doing your job? Countless times. I'm sure David, when he was first anointed, felt like, What's even happening right now? Am I, I don't even think I can take this mantle on. Imagine, imagine the weight that that anointing had. I think we throw that word around so often as Christians now. You're anointed, you know, God has anointed you, let's anoint you. And, but there, it carried weight. And so David in this moment is, is this young kid and he's anointed and Samuel says, you're going to be king. God has chosen you. What a, what a mind-blowing concept that God would choose us. That God would say, no, you're the one that I want. You're overlooked, you're underqualified, but you're the one that I want. And so later on, countless times that David is having to overcome adversity, overcome all odds, and still come out to be the victor, not because of the fact that he has the stuff, but because he has the heart. See, commitment requires perseverance. Perseverance. This is the thing that Saul missed. 
as king. Saul, when he started out, ultimately was serving the Lord, was being obedient. And you see that, that God had established him and had, had blessed his reign. And then Saul decides he's going to go in a different direction than the, what the Lord has desired. And that's when the Lord says, you know, I have to choose somebody different. I need to anoint somebody different. There, Saul's not fit to be on the throne any longer. So he immediately starts looking in chapter 13. He says, Samuel, you need to start looking for the next heir. Saul's not it. He's not being obedient. He's not persevering and committing to service to me. See, sometimes our Christian life can feel like those movies. Sometimes it can feel a bit like Braveheart. And God, I'm, I'm overcoming all sorts of odds here. I'm overcoming adversity. I'm overcoming pushback. Not even from external circumstances or situations. Sometimes it's even on my own heart that I'm just wrestling with myself and I'm trying to overcome in this moment. Have you been there? Have you settled and, and gotten to the place where you go, well, maybe I should just, you know, tend to the sheep. And you said, no, I'm just going to settle. God, I'm good with, and you try to start convincing yourself. I'm good with just tending to the sheep. God, maybe you just called me to that. Just listen to the Lord this morning. I'm not stepping on toes, nor am I saying that any job is insignificant. What I am saying is if God has called you to it, you better be doing it. And if you think the job is too big, if you think it's, it's too heavy for you, that the anointing that's on you, that God has placed on you is too big, welcome to the club. <laughs> because David felt that way. We all feel that way at times where we're sitting there going, God, I don't see how this can be accomplished. And yet, God asks us to persevere through. God asks us to say, you know, you need to overcome the odds. You need to, to be the one that listens to me in spite of obstacle. There have been times that God has spoken in my life where I am confused, I don't understand the situation, and I, I, I have to cry out to him, God, where are you in this moment? I don't understand, but it's always a matter of looking at who I am in God, whose I am, my identity in Christ. And so David is, is reminded of this, and he's consistently told by other people that he's underqualified, and yet he persists. He has a perseverance to commit to what God has asked him and called him to do. And so with David and Goliath, you see him go out there, he's taking five smooth stones, and he, and Goliath falls. And everybody's, you know, everybody's perspectives are just shaken, except David, because he knew it wasn't in his strength, it was in God's strength that he stood. He claims that in that fight, in that moment, before he even faces or addresses Goliath on a physical level, he says, my God's going to give me victory over you. He perseveres. He committed to being who God wanted him to be. You want to commit to God this morning? We've got to persevere. It requires perseverance. We can't commit to God one time, and I think a lot of us stay in this state in our Christian life we lose all empowerment of the Spirit. We lose all authority in Jesus' name because we say, well, I've committed to God once. <laughs> and we don't think about the perseverance. We don't think about the dying to self every day. The fact that each day is a new day to say, God, I'm choosing your path, your will, your way over my own. 
Let's take a second look at the life of David. This time we're going to jump forward. We're going to be in 2 Samuel, and we're looking at a passage of Scripture that maybe you're not familiar with. David was known as a man after God's own heart. And yet here we have David, this one of David's classic and, and probably most, most um, significant blunders in his life. And so we're going to take a peek at that and really what happens in this moment and how David still remains God's chosen. S starting at verse number 9 of chapter 12, it says, Why did you despise, this is, a, this is the prophet speaking to David, who's now king, and he has committed this sin, and so Nathan is, is confronting him and is saying, What's going on? God's revealed this to me, what's happening. And so here we have, we find these two dialoguing and, and it says, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the, uh, the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is God speaking to David. Still really strong words, right? God's not pulling any punches here. He's not giving David a free pass, understand? It's not like, well, yeah, but David was such a good guy that God just decided to overlook. No. He confronts David head on. Continues in verse number 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die, but because you have done this, shown utter contempt from the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with the Lord for the child and fasted and spent the, spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him and to, to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. Look, his servants were going, this guy's already acting crazy. If we tell him this, he's just going to go completely off the rails. How are we going to, and they're, they're trying to scheme and concoct how they're going to communicate this to King David. Verse number 19, David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves and realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house. And at his request, they served him food and he ate. In this moment of weakness for David, you go, Pastor Spencer, what can we take out of that? I don't, I don't quite understand why you're including that. Look, God reveals to me what hinders me. God will reveal to me what hinders me. In this moment where God had put David on the throne and David had had a weakness, he'd had a sin of falling out of God. He had walked away from what God had wanted him to do in this moment, in this particular act. He 
commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then he kills her husband. And I love that Nathan calls him out on it. He says, you've, you've committed murder by the sword of the Ammonites. He's like, you tried to pass it off. You tried to say, oh, no, he died in war. No, you committed murder. And so God calls him out on it. He says it directly. Has God done that to you before? <laughs> Where he just pins your hide right to the wall, right? Okay, this right here, this is the area I want from you. You're going, God, that, ooh, that's in my heart. That hurts, right? I, I don't know if I'm, gonna, I'm ready to deal with that. We start kind of making excuses. But David, when God confronts him and he says, David, you've sinned. You've, you've, you've messed up. You've missed the mark majorly. That was the target, and you're way over here. And he brings this to David's attention and says, this is going to hinder you from being a man after my heart. You see David's response. So God reveals in verse number 9, he says, you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. God's specific when he calls us out. Amen? Like when, when, when God tells you this is the area of your life that is, is blocking you, that is hindering you, that is preventing you from your best life in my spirit. This is preventing you from succeeding as a hero. This is preventing you from overcoming the odds. This particular thing. And he circles it and he names it by name and he tells us this is what needs to change in your life. He's not vague. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. I'm, I'm glad in my life, I've got so many things that, that are messed up, that when God brings something to my attention, he never says, okay, you, you sinned. Because I'm like, well, yeah, unfortunately, I know that, God. I'm very sorry. I'm flawed. No, he's more specific than that. He says, this specific thing, this issue in your life needs to be resolved. We need to solve that. We need to overcome that together. This is the God we serve. And so in verse number nine, he highlights that to David through Nathan. And David's response is a model of what we should do because he understood admitting my failure is the first step towards forgiveness. And admitting my fault, admitting that I've messed up, I've blown it is the first step for God to restore, for God to bring about a, a healing process in our lives and in our hearts. Amen? If God brings something to your attention and you try to ignore it, the only one you're fooling is yourself. God's not fooled. He still sees it. He sees it in your heart. He sees it in your actions. And, and David says, there's no point in doing that. And so he, before Nathan, says, I have sinned. Look at verse number 13. No pleading. David didn't say, well, but okay, this is the reason. You know, she happened to be out there in the moment of weakness for me or whatever. No bargaining, no, none of that. He just owns it. He says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. Because God was aware that David's heart was contrite, that it was humbled before him, he had taken away his sin, but still bared a consequence, right? Still bore something that unfortunately, you know, God had to show David that this was some, an area you blew. In fact, it wasn't just the, the son that ended up passing away. God said that the sword would never leave David's household, and really it never did. There was all this turmoil after this in his reign, and he continued to reign and ultimately continued to be a man after God's heart and, and was faithful to what God had commanded him. But man, his life was so much more tumultuous because of this choice. 
that God brought the sword still, that, that consequence was still there, but the forgiveness had been provided because David was willing to say, I blew it. I admit my failure, Lord, before you. I'm, as much as we've highlighted this in David's life as a moment of downfall, as a moment of, of failure, of sin, I think another thing we need to understand and take from this scripture, this passage of scripture, is that I must look to God in the midst of failure. See, sometimes we want to come to God on our terms. Folks, have you been there before? God, I want to wait just a few days, Lord, and then I'll, you know, I'll be in your presence. Let me, let me get my stuff in order, and then I'll... But that's not the God we serve. In fact, he sees your heart already. It's ever before the Lord. We're, we're ba lay bare before God, the creator of, of all. And, and yet we try to hide so often. We try to say, well, you know, I'm going to deal with it once this failure has been overcome. Don't do that. You won't make it on your own. Our strength cannot do it. And so you end up putting yourself at a disadvantage and, and, and really causing your Christian life to be stunted and, and blocked, and you see that thing that hinders you, and God has, has identified it, and you say, okay, I see that, God, but I'm not going to let you in on that yet. And so there it sits, between you and relationship with God, between you and being the hero you need to be, between you and the anointing God's called you to, there it sits, day after day after day, that you're trying to say, okay, today's the day I'm going to overcome it, man. And you get all pumped up in the morning, and then you blow it again. I've been there. I'm preaching to myself. And we allow this moment, and we don't learn from what David did, that he understood, I must look to God even in my failure. That requires some humbleness, amen? David needed to come before God and say, God, I just completely blew this. I, I just, I, I messed up. I, I failed miserably. I missed the mark. And he owned it, didn't make excuses, and said, I'm willing to, be laid bare before you, to, to be exposed before you. we got to get to that point in our relationship with God. Look at verse number 16. Even after he had sinned, he had ex expressed to God, you know, I have sinned and God had forgiven him. God said, this is the consequence, I'm going to take your son. And here we have David. It said, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent his nights staying in laying in sackcloth on the ground. Man, he was still in the presence of the Lord. He still chose to be in that moment, even in spite of him saying, this is my fault. <laughs> this is my fault. And that carries some emotional weight, amen? You're going, I don't know if I can get there, God. This is when I see the, the consequences of my actions affecting other people, and I, I don't know whether I can be in your presence at that moment because, see, God is ho so holy that we say, I'm undone. I can't, I can't stand up under this. Isaiah says, I, what can I say? I'm a flawed individual. And so we get to that moment, but look at David laying before the Lord and he's saying, God, Remove this, this, this consequence. 
on behalf of my son. And he's, he's praying and he's seeking the Lord. And ultimately, when God made the decision, no, he, your son died. And his servants tell him, we're a little worried for you, but we're letting you know that the child is dead. He immediately makes his decision. He, he gets up and he gets dressed and he moves on because he knows God has made the decision. And he trusts God's sovereignty in that moment and he trusts that God's just. And so he says, okay. And he gets up and he begins to live his life again. But in the midst of failure, David was willing to put himself, to lay himself out, to, to sit in the sackcloth moment and say, God, I've, I've messed up. I think in my own prayers, and, and, and you can agree with me on this if you've been there before, in my own prayers, sometimes I tend to gloss over the sin areas of my life. God will highlight something to me, and, you know, I'll, I'll try to live there for a moment. It's like it reminds me of when I was a kid, and I, I would say I'm sorry, but it wasn't really... You know, I wasn't wanting to dialogue through it. I wasn't wanting to feel the weight of what I did. And so I'd say, I'm sorry. And then I'd want that to be the end of the conversation. And so in, the, in our prayer life, we gloss over and we say, God, yeah, I blew it there. I'm sorry. And then we want to move on. Okay, but now this is what I want you to do for me. We don't want to stay in that sackcloth moment where we say, God, this is my fault. I've, I'm the one that caused this. I, I'm, I'm messed up. And understand, David's still this mighty warrior, this man after God's heart. This is a moment in his life that we can sometimes define him by or ignore altogether. See, it's hard to keep the tension point of saying, David was a flawed dude, but he also was a man after God's own heart. When we refer to David, I think oftentimes people get the perspective of saying, well, yeah, he was a really messed up guy, or... They say, yeah, he was a great guy. He, had a man, he was a man after God's own heart, and we completely pass by or sweep under the rug this issue in his life. And how often do we do the same thing in our own lives where we say, I can't do both. I can't be a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart and still have this issue. Yes, you can. If you do it before the Lord and you say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I blew it. I'm sorry, I missed the mark, I, I missed the target, I'm not perfect. God, I want to live up to your expectations. I want to get there, I want to get to the place where I can be the hero you want me to be. But I messed up in this moment. When you stay in that sackcloth moment and you're willing to live there, God brings about the restoration he desires. When we're willing to look at the hindrance and begin to remove it in Jesus' name by and through our Savior, and move past it and move forward. See, notice when David got the news that God had made the decision, he moves forward. He doesn't live there. He just says, okay, God, tomorrow's a new day. Today's a new day. This is a new moment that I'm going to serve. I'm going to continue to, to live by your word, that I'm going to continue to be a man after you. We get confused sometimes where we call David a man that had God's heart, not true. He simply pursued God's heart. This prayer in Psalms 51, it's a beautiful passage of scripture. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing. I've only taken a passage here that I think highlights specifically what David's prayer was, his acknowledgement was. But I want us to get and I would encourage you, look at this passage of Scripture in its entirety, Psalms 51. 
Because this is where we need to be when we fail. It's not to say that our failures are excused, not to say that somehow they don't matter to God, but to say we can overcome and we will overcome if we pursue and we persist and we say, God, this is not something I'm going to let get me down. I will overcome all odds. I will win in your name no matter the cost. That brave heart moment, freedom. Let's claim that over our lives. And so this is what David says. Verse number 10 of Psalms 51, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Continues on in verse number 17, he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. David got to the moment that he said, All I can offer you, Lord, is repentance. All I can give you, God, is a broken and contrite heart. Please don't, don't put me out of your presence. Don't, don't put me out of, of interaction with you. Create in me a pure heart. He says, purify me, cleanse me, God. Don't allow this sin to be the permanent hindrance of relationship with you, of interaction with you. And then he goes on to say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That God, through you, I can be joyful. I can say, I don't live in this defeated mindset, this defeated moment that defines me by my sin that I can claim the new identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians says it perfect. When we're made new in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. That's God's heart about our past. I never see in Scripture, and I've, I've looked, I intentionally looked as I was preaching this message, I said, God, what do you say about our past? He says he forgets it. He says, leave it behind. He says, move forward. He says, go and sin no more. Our past, God wants us to learn from and then leave it there. But so often we define ourselves by or we stay in that moment and we say, God, I failed. I messed up. And then we just live there. Imagine if David said, I'm an adulterer. Put that stamp on his life. I think the, tra the trajectory of his life from that moment on would have been very different if David wasn't willing to say, God, I, I'm sorry, I repent before you, and now I'm moving forward. Tomorrow's a new day. That we don't identify ourselves by our sin. The wondering, God, what, what, what are you trying to say this morning? is this, that God's concern is where I go from here. Always. Always. God's concern has always been where we go from here, from this moment, from this turning point. See, this should give us some excitement. Today's message has been heavy. It's been something where, you know, me even preaching it, there's moments where we don't want to look. Again, we don't want to look honestly at the things that hinder us. But here's the moment of encouragement. Here's the moment of joy in our salvation is God's perspective is where we go from here. 
Each moment is new. Each day is new. Do you realize that you can be a new creation right now as you're sitting in that chair? You say, God, the old things have passed away. The new has come. I am no longer the man that I was yesterday. That's the joy of our salvation. That's the restoration God brings about us to say we're not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by the things that do hinder us. We overcome them in the name of Jesus and we move forward. This is the prayer that we have. God, create in me a clean heart. Restore to me my salvation. Look at what David says. And this is really what highlights commitment perseverance is look he says oh god and renew a steadfast spirit within me there's that bruce lee moment i'm not defeated yet god you sitting in their chair that this morning if you're saying man i i i messed up this morning spencer i don't know what i mean Today's a new day. This moment's a new moment. Every breath that you take, God says, hey, make this a new moment, a new path, a new trajectory. In youth, we were talking through a series at one point called the first day of the rest of your life. That's today. That's this moment. And that's the encouragement for me as I look at David's life and his heart is, there are times, man, he's succeeding. He's, he's a man after God's own heart through and through. Everybody can see it. They're seeing the power of God move through him. And then there are other times that a prophet like Nathan has to go, man, you, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You, you totally walked away and, and did not do what God had for you. And yet the encouragement for me every day in this passage of Scripture is that when David lays out before the Lord, when he's willing to take that time to stay in the repentant, heart, when he's willing to take that time to stay in the sackcloth moment, God restores him to it entirety. He says, this is the new day. This is the new line in the sand. Like the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament, when they would build altars to say, this is the, the christening moment that God's done something here. They say, this is the, the line in the sand where I move forward. And I think we need to do that in our lives, that we need to understand that each moment, each breath we take, God says, I'm concerned with where you're going. I'm concerned with what you're doing right now. Yes, we need to learn from our past. Yes, we need to overcome our mistakes. We don't need to downplay them, but we also don't need to be defined by them or controlled or hindered or prevented from the presence of God by them. And so here we have David in this moment say, God, I know that when I repent that you will not turn me away. He says, a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. That's the encouragement this morning that I have for you to say that we're not defined, we're not identified by what happened yesterday. We're not identified what happened this morning. You're identified by the potential that you have in this moment to be a hero. The potential you have in the heart of, uh, of in your own heart to say, God, I want to be a person after you. That persistence that says, in spite of the fact that I'm gonna trip, in spite of the fact that I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna move ahead. And so the question I have for you today, and it's something that really, needs to continue to be a question we ask ourselves daily. It's not a haunting question, but it is a probing question, and it's one that I think will help us get to the moments of sackcloth laying before the Lord. 
saying, God, I'm, I'm undone before you, but I'm still in your presence. Is this, what's keeping me from present relationship with God? Now, I want to define that a little bit. I'm not talking about, again, I think we get mixed up and we say, no, no, Pastor Spencer, I've already committed to, to God. I, I am a Christian. I'm aware. I'm standing before you saying, yeah, you know, I, I'm a Christian. I've committed to God. But what's keeping me in this present moment? I'm talking about abiding presence. When, when we look at the word presence, it comes from the word present, being there. Right? That God's presence is about God being with us. And so I'm talking about in this moment, not that you have not or have committed to God, but whether you're staying in his presence. What's hindering you? What's keeping you today from saying, God, I'm here before you, present with you? Every day, every moment, every hour, God, I am present with you. Because whether it's fear that God's going to turn you away, whether it's shame. God, I can't stand before a holy God like that with this sin in my life. God says, but I've made a way. I've made a way through my son Jesus. No, we don't like to use it because we want to stand on our own strength, but God says there is no other way to be in my presence. Don't allow the things that God has highlighted in your life to be a hindrance to you. Don't allow them to stay there. Remove them in Jesus' name and move forward. Don't allow them to keep you from presence with God. You, you see David, he's, he, he's told that he is messed up, and yet here David is immediately going back to the presence of the Lord. So this morning as we close, I'd encourage you, being a hero is about commitment. It's about the perseverance. It's about the heart like Braveheart of saying, overcoming all obstacles, overcoming all odds. Yes, I will trip and fall. Yes, there'll be times I fail, moments I mess up, but I'm going to overcome. God, today's a new day. You're concerned with where I go from here. Those are the two things I want to leave with you. What's getting in my way from being in God's presence right now? Is it shame? God, remove that by your spirit. Your word says that there's no condemnation in those that live in Christ Jesus. Lord, that the old is gone and the new has come. Remove that shame right now. Is it fear? The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Coming into the presence of God and saying, God, I love you. I'm, I'm, I'm undone before you and you are holy and I am not. That will get you further in overcoming the things that hinder us from being a hero than any striving on our own will get us. Remaining in the presence of God. Look at what Jesus says in, in the New Testament about abiding. Abiding in his presence. That's where we want to be today. That's where David was. He was willing to say, God, I've blown it, but I'm going to abide. That's why he was a man after God's own heart, because he pursued God, no matter the cost. He was committed. He was persistent in his Christian walk. Let's let that be us this morning, amen? Let's bow our heads. God, we come before you just in a, maybe a state of heaviness because we recognize that there's so many things that we try to sweep under the rug. 
Maybe, God, it's a state of encouragement because we say, God, I never knew that my identity wasn't about my past. Lord, however we are approaching you today, God, I pray that we would do so with boldness. That, God, we wouldn't get hindered. Lord, we wouldn't be held back by these things that could drag us down, this identity, this shame, this fear that can keep us from presence with you. But, God, that you would help us to persevere, to push past that, to commit to relationship with you, even in the moments that we have to weep before you because you're so holy. God, we, even in the moments where we feel broken before you, that we would be bold enough to stand there. God, I think of Job, where you begin to correct, you begin to instruct, and you say to stand there and take it like a man. God, I pray that we'd begin to do that. We wouldn't shy away from the moments where we say, God, I'm still in your presence. You know my heart. You know my flaws. You know who I am, but I want to be redefined in this moment. This morning, if you're here, I would be remiss this morning to not give way, give room for this. But if you're here and you say, you know, Pastor Spencer, I don't know if I've ever actually made a commitment to the Lord. I didn't realize that there was a type of God that was more concerned about my potential than about my past. But I think today is the day I want to make that decision. We'd be delighted to pray with you. If that's you this morning and you just say, you know, I, I think today is my day. I think today is a new line in the sand that I say, Jesus, I accept you in my heart. I'm committing to relationship with you. If that's you this morning, slip your hand up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Okay. But if you're here today and you say, you know, God, I need to just repent before you. Whether it's repentance for allowing fear or shame to get the better of us and keep us out of presence, active relationship with God, or whether it's something that we have not repented of, we've tried to sweep under the rug, we've said, God, you've identified this, but I'm not willing to take it on. But in this moment, you're saying, God, I want to make today a new day, a new moment. I want to invite this, the front area to be opened this morning. And we're just going to say a prayer together. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to say, I'm going to count to three. And we're just going to get up out of our seats if that's us this morning. My hand's up. My heart's out there because I've been in that place that I think I've, prevent, I've been prevented from the Lord by, by shame, by fear, things that get in my way. And so if that's you this morning, you say, God, I don't want anything to hold me back anymore. Nothing to hold me back from presence with you this morning. I ask you to come. We're just going to come before the Lord in his presence and just be there with him in the moment, in the valley, in the mountain. God, that Lord, we are going to be there with you this morning. Three, two, one. That you just get up out of your seat right now and say, God, I, I submit to you. I admit, God, that my shame, my fear, my, my failures have prevented me from active relationship with you this morning. But I give myself to you, God. God, we submit to you in spite of our flaws. Lord, we say we're undone in your presence, Lord.
thank you that you are a God who embraces us in spite of our dirtiness, God, in spite of the fact that our righteousness are as filthy rags to you, God, but that you embrace us anyway. God, you, you come and you, you fill us up, you empower us to accomplish the anointing that we have. God, we come into your presence this morning, overlooking God, overcoming all those obstacles. This morning, we've stepped out in faith. We've made today a new day, and we've said, fear and shame will not keep me from the presence of God anymore. Lord, we submit to you. We say, God, that today's a new day of living in failure before you. God, living and being willing to live in the repentant moments. Jesus, we won't, we'll no longer sweep things under the rug, but God, that we will take things head on knowing that you are a forgiving and loving God who embraces us this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for your overcoming power, your forgiveness this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just sing that song together. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love in your presence. restoration. This moment, God, of clarity that you've given us to be lay bare in your presence. Lord, with other people that are also together, we are flawed individuals all striving after you. God, we pr I pray that you would help us to encourage one another, to support one another. Lord, today, let this be a new day, a line in the sand moment. God, I pray that this is the moment that we go as North Lake out of this room, redefined, not by our past, but by our potential. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you this morning for being here. God is doing some awesome things here at North Lake. This hero series is, is so fun. And and this morning, I just want to leave you with that encouragement that today is a new day, that each moment is a new moment, that we need to live in it, that we need to act in it and practically go out and be empowered by the Holy Spirit living in the presence of God. God bless you. Let's stand together. You are dismissed. We are going to have an awesome day of intentional ministry. Right now, as we head out these doors, I want you to find somebody that's broken in the, in the, in the community. Find somebody that needs some love, some embracing today, and make that happen. Let's be the church. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus today in Jesus' name. God bless you.